I want to welcome all of you along with all of our campuses, our Gulf, Shore, Gulf, our Gulf Coast campus, the South Shore campus, those of you who are joining us online along with all of you here at Little Creek. Can we just welcome, join me right now in welcoming our campuses. Yeah, excited to see, be with you today. We are in the fifth week of a, of a study in the book of 1 John that, uh, how many of you guys are enjoying this series, This Is Living? Hasn't this been fantastic? And I'm just excited to be able to be with you this morning. My name is David DeGormo. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the King. I serve uh, on the lead team as well as pastoring the South Shore campus and working with the other campuses. And uh, this study has just been so encouraging to me. How about, how about you guys? And I would just encourage you if, you, if you've missed any of the messages or even if you've been there, you just can't get it all in one sitting. And I, I know you've probably experienced that, but as we've gone through these, book, these, these weeks, the last four weeks have been so rich and uh, Pastor Steve has done such a phenomenal job. By the way, don't we have a fantastic pastor that sometimes we can just take it for granted how great he is, how awesome, what a great job he does just bringing us the word. I would encourage you, go back and listen to these messages. Get them to your friends. Go to our website, churchoftheking.com. You can download them. Uh, and I would take that even a step further and say subscribe. That You can go to uh, whatever app you use to manage your podcast subscriptions and subscribe to Church of the King's weekly podcast that includes either audio or video version of the messages and other special events that we do. And uh, man, just stay in that word. You'll have it right there on your mobile device or on your desktop, on your computer, uh, whenever you come in, whenever you spend time sitting in front of your computer, riding back and forth to work, to listen, get that word inside of it, because this is good, rich stuff. And so uh, excited about this series. Again, we're in the fifth week, and today we're going into the fourth chapter of First John in a message entitled, The Discerning Life. And uh, the Apostle John is going to be leading on, us on a journey today of discovering how to live a life of discernment. And speaking of discernment, how many of you know you need discernment to be a parent? Any, any parents in here? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm the only one. But any of you guys have a kid or maybe multiple children who can look you in the eye with that, those big old eyes and that big smile and just not tell you the truth? I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to say they lie, but it sure ain't the truth. You with me? I remember several years ago, this is probably 12, 13 years ago now, one of our kids was about three or four years old, and he, this little guy had a sweet tooth. I mean, anything with sugar, and he was like Buddy the Elf, you know, on the Elf. Is, is there sugar in maple syrup? Yeah. yeah. I mean, anything with sugar, this kid was all over. And so uh, I remember I got up early on a Saturday morning one time, and I went in the kitchen, and there was this big puddle of chocolate syrup, Hershey's syrup on the floor in the kitchen, and all over the refrigerator, and I opened the fridge, and it's all down the inside, and there was a little pair of chocolate footprints leading from the kitchen down the hallway. And so I followed the tracks. I'm not saying this particular instance needed a lot of discernment. I'm just saying. I walked down the hallway and uh, into his bedroom, and there he is playing with the Legos. And it was early. And he's sitting there playing with Legos, you know. And I, hey, buddy. Good morning. He's saying, hey, daddy. What you doing? Playing with Legos. He's covered with chocolate syrup. He's got it all over his face, all around his mouth, and his hands. It's all down the front of his pajamas and, of course, all over his feet, you know, where he track it down the hall. Hey, uh, what, you, what you been doing this morning? Nothing. <laughs> hey, 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 buddy. Um, did, did you go in the kitchen? 
You sure? Hey, um, did, you, did any chance you got in the, in the syrup, in the chocolate syrup in the refrigerator this morning? Really? Are you sure? Come here. So I picked him up because he's covered with syrup. And I carried him down to the bathroom and I held him up in front of the mirror. I said, buddy, what, what is that all over you? I don't know. I said, buddy, are you sure you didn't get in the syrup this morning? Now, I admit, that didn't take a lot of discernment, but in life, we need discernment. We have to walk and live in discernment, and that is the goal of our message this morning. Again, we're in the fourth chapter of 1 John, so let's jump right into our passage this morning as we learn how John teaches us uh, from this passage how to live a life of discernment. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we're going to go ahead and read all six verses together. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, you remember, if, uh, I think it was in week one, Pastor Steve talked about some of the false doctrine that had begun to creep into the church uh, through, through false teachings that had, and teachers that had gone out am, among uh, the early Christians. And among them were many different uh, uh, beginnings of different uh, false doctrines. And so that's one of the main reasons that he wrote this epistle. And we're going to revisit that in just a moment. But he says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which Pastor Steve mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well of which you have already heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children. So there's a clarifying remark. There's a point of separation here in, his, in John's remarks. He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You want to just stop right there and, and just... Dance. Just, how many of you get excited when you hear that, just that phrase, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? And we're going to come back to that in a minute. That's going to be a very important part of our discussion this morning. But he says, they are from the world. Speaking of those who are in the world, he says, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, again, another distinction, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us, and by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So there in verse 1, John gives us a clear call as believers to test the spirits. And there, here was two interesting words that I want to camp on just for a minute that, are kind of, that will kind of set the stage for the rest of our talk uh, together today. And the first is the word test. The word test appears right in verse 1. John commands us to test every spirit. And the word test in here in the Greek, dokimazo, is literally a word that is a metallurgical term that means to, to test, to examine, prove, and scrutinize to see whether a thing is genuine or not. 
And again, it's, it's a metallurgical term. It's from, uh, from uh, the process that they would use to test metals to, de to decide whether or not they were what they supposed that they were, uh, the value, the hardness, the, the worth, or the value of that piece of metal, whether it's a precious metal or a common metal. And uh, it's very similar to the process that we had that they use now to determine whether or not gold is is real, uh, uh, the purity of the gold, and so forth. And I was as I was preparing, I was thinking about uh, this phenomenon in the United States in the 1840s uh, called the Gold Rush, where from 1848 and for several years, 10, 15, 20 years there, there were people coming from all over the United States and all over the world into the Western US and the Rocky Mountains and then all the way out into California, digging for gold, mining for gold, trying to make their fortunes on this precious metal that they had discovered in some great quantities on the west si Western side of the United States. And, uh, and many men and families traveled there and they staked their claims and they put their whole lives into building their fortunes uh, on these discoveries, on discovering these uh, loads of, of uh, gold in the, in the hills of California and western parts of the United States. The problem was is that many of them, they discovered another substance that was in also in the mountains out there and it looked like gold and it kind of felt like gold, but at, upon further discovery, they found that it was not gold. In fact, it became known later as fool's gold. It was a substance called pyrite. And uh, it, again, it, it, deter it was determined that it not only was it, was it not gold, it really was worthless. But unfortunately, in the process of, of staking their claims and building their lives on these fortunes. Many of these families built their fortunes on this substance that became known as fool's gold that was actually worth nothing. It was not substantive, it was not of value, and their entire lives were ruined because they built their lives on these, on these claims and discoveries of fool's gold, assuming, accepting a counterfeit and assuming it was of the same value as the real thing. And that's what the Apostle John is telling us today. He's telling make sure, test, to make sure what you're building your life on is the real thing, the truth. The other word, let me, I want to zero in just real quickly uh, on, and again, looking into this idea of, of testing every spirit. The second word is the word spirits. Of course, in the Greek, this is the word pneuma. And most of the time, when, when this appears in Scripture, uh, it refers to an entity, a spiritual entity, maybe the Holy Spirit or a, an evil spirit. But in this context, the most accurate definition of the word is this. The source, again, we're talking about spirit, the source of any power, affection, emotion, or desire. Let me read that to you again. In this context, the word pneuma can be best, or spirit can be best defined as the source of any power, affection, emotion, or desire. In other words, what, the, so what John is saying is we are as believers to take the time in every circumstance to examine and put to the test the source, the source of all of our thoughts, information, our emotions, any messages that are coming to us as believers. That ability is called discernment. And again, we're talking about living a discerning life. And so discernment is when by the Spirit of God, we're able to distinguish and judge the source of something. As we're called to, by God to live a discerning life, like the miners during the gold rush, we have to sometimes dig a little deeper to learn and to discern the, the, the true or, and discover the genuine from the counterfeit. You ever walk into a situation where you, you're in a, in a, a circumstance or a situation where it just seems like something just isn't right? You can't quite put your finger on it, but something's just not right. Or you're talking to somebody and they're saying all the right things, 
but something just doesn't smell right. Are you with me? You ever been there? You ever, you ever had a situation like this? Probably this week, most of you have had a situation like that. When that's happening inside of you, you're discerning. The Spirit of God is speaking to you and showing you, letting you know in your knower that something's just not quite right. Now, this does not mean that we're supposed to go around looking for an evil spirit behind every tree and under every rock necessarily. Now, we don't believe there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other one, you know, whispering. I mean, I love Looney Tunes just as much as the next guy, but that's not exactly what we're talking about this morning. Back to John's point, the idea here is how do we discern truth from error? How do we in a world of constant bombardment of information and messages discern fact from fiction? Well, I'm glad you asked. So what we're going to do uh, during the rest of our time today is we're going to talk about three key points, three key ideas or questions really that the Apostle John uh, presents to us in this text that, that leads us into a discerning life. And so let's jump right into those points. First one is this. The first question that we have to answer uh, to live a discerning life is this, who is Christ to me? Who is Christ to me, to you and I? In verse two, uh, John writes this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit, spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. In verse 1, John commands us to test every message, the source of every message and every idea. And now John's helping us to know how to do this by, by answering three critical questions. And the first one, and this is the biggie, is this. Was Jesus God in the flesh? You remember, this is, one of the, this is one of the main challenges that had entered into the early church, one of the main false doctrine that had entered in through these false prophets, challenging the deity and the person of Christ. And so John is answering this question by addressing the deity and the centrality of Christ, not only to Christians, but more importantly, to humanity as the only hope for life and eternity. Again, it's easy for us as Christians to say, yes, Jesus was God. But it's not just important to Christians. It's important to all of humanity. Because whether we believe it or not, whether we, now how we believe will affect how we live, but whether we believe it or not, Jesus was God. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there's no opinion of man that can change that fact. And that's what John is addressing in this, in this point. The false teachings John was addressing were not dissimilar to the eyes, uh, to the ideas that we have floating around in the world today in the culture that we live in. Ideas that challenge the deity of Christ and the validity of his teachings. We live in sort of a, a gumbo of ideology when it comes to faith and, and ways to God and ways to live, perspectives and philosophies. You have your truth, I have my truth, maybe there is no real truth, all religions lead to God, Christianity is just one among many options that lead to God or to eternity. Media and the news around us is screaming these messages and we are expected to just accept every message that comes by us at face value and give it equal credence and weight along with all the other ideas that are in the gumbo. That's what's expected of us in this world that we live in. And if we don't, because everyone's opinion should have equal credit, equal credence, if we don't accept this, we're, we're seen as narrow-minded and intolerant. It's interesting. You know, I lived in New York for several years and before we moved here in, in Manhattan, in New York City, and, and uh, you talk about a melting pot of ideology. If you have five New Yorkers in a room, you have 10 opinions, okay? <laughs> 
And the way that works is kind of interesting because they, everyone's, every, every single ideology and opinion and perspective demands equal weight and equal credence. Even if, which is most of the, most of the time the case, they don't agree with themselves. And now it's interesting, if you start unpacking people's, people's ideology, most of the time outside of Christ, they don't even agree with themselves. They're, they've used all sorts of you know, mental gymnastics and circular reasoning to come up with the, uh, to the philosophy, that they, or if there is one, that they live by, and, and they all expect you to ex just accept it with equal weight, regardless of whether it makes sense or not, or even if they're consistent within their own thoughts. Hey, I remember a, guy, a conversation I had with a young man uh, that I led to Christ who was in, in the entertainment industry, uh, in New York City, and he just—he was basically confessing, yeah, you know, before I, I came to know Christ, I thought the Bible was just a myth. It was like Aesop's fables or whatever. I had no idea that God, that Jesus was real or whatever. He was kind of an atheist agnostic. He thought there was, you know, something out there, but not really sure. Maybe sometimes he didn't even believe that. And again, his only ideology didn't even agree with itself, but it was just how he lived. And he, he even said one time, he said, before I was a Christian, I thought Cecil B. DeMille wrote the Bible. Now, for those of you who are under 40, Cecil B. DeMille was the pr producer and director of the original Ten Commandments movies from the 50s with Charlton Heston. Y'all remember the real one? You know, Ewell Brenner and Charlton Heston. There's a bunch of them out now. In fact, there's a new one out right now. It's, and I'd encourage you to watch all of them, but go back to that first one. Cecil B. DeMille did not write the Bible, okay? <laughs> but that's, it's, our, our, our culture is so confused with this morass, this myriad of just opinions that it's hard to distinguish sometimes, especially when everybody's screaming loudly at you that you have to accept their idea equally with yours. The problem with this form of universalism, and I want you to hear what I'm gonna say very carefully, is that Jesus's own words make this an impossibility for us. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not just a teacher or a prophet or a good man. You can't just say he's a good man because his very claim to be the absolute source of truth removes that as an option. He, Jesus made some audacious claims. And so to be a Christ follower and to accept Jesus as one of many ways is an oxymoron. They cannot mutually coexist, those two thoughts. Now listen, listen to this. An honest historical and sociological exa examination of Jesus' teachings and the impact of his life removes the option to claim his, to deny his claims. The only hope for humanity is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is not just another icon, a religious figure to be added to the smorgasbord of beliefs. He is the creator of everything that exists. The fact that we, can have, that we have the ability to logically have this conversation ex explains his reality, reveals to us his reality. He is the creator of everything, the king of kings and lord of lords, and our ability to perceive truth begins by acknowledging him as the source of ultimate truth. John is clear in our passage today that biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity is rooted in the person of Christ. Christianity is about Christ plus nothing. 
It's all about Jesus, his life, death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's not about enlightenment where we work our way to heaven and try to be a good person. It's not about anything that you and I can do to earn our way to God. Real life begins and ends in the person of Jesus Christ, Christ plus nothing. So the first thing John tells us in this passage from the fourth chapter of 1 John is that the first step to living the discerning life is that by answering the question, who is Christ to me? And I would ask you today, have you settled the question, who is Christ to you? The second thing John challenges with in this passage in verse four is this. In verse four, John says, who is Christ in me? Who is Christ in me? In verse four, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The apostle opens this verse with a powerful settling statement. You are from God, reaffirming your identity in, the, in Christ and who you are, how you see yourself as with Christ in you. He says, you are from God, reminding us that our life is fully in God. Then he immediately declares this position of victory, saying, you have overcome them. He reminds us that the victory that we have over the sources of untruths in our lives, and you know what, the lies that we believe that are holding us in bondage. You got, because whether we realize it or not, many of us have settled into certain patterns of thinking and living in our lives, well, we, we have been influenced. Again, I'm not saying circumstances are not real. Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, suggesting that somehow we should sit and watch as the waters are, the floodwaters are rising around our homes going, it's not flooding, it's not flooding, it's not flooding, it's not flooding. What, the circumstances that we live in are real, but what I am saying is that the, the messages that are informing our perspective of those circumstances, such as you're gonna lose everything, it's all gonna be lost, your life's gonna be ruined, you're never gonna amount to anything, you're gonna die in this, you'll, you're, you're no good, whatever it is, whatever area or thought or, pro, or circumstance that the enemy has used in your life to, to find a, a road in to insert half-truths and lies from culture and from, from his demonic stream of suggestions, that those things are untrue. And when we understand that who we are in Christ, we realize that we have already overcome all those things, not because of who we are, but because the greater one lives inside of us and has made us more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The greater one lives inside of us and he's working on your behalf. Listen, nothing happens to you, everything happens for you. Look at your neighbor and say, you are an overcomer. Now you can look at the other one that you ignored the first time and say, you're not a loser, you're a champion. You're not defeated, you are more than a conqueror. And listen, it's not because of who you are, it's because of Christ in you, because the very presence of the Spirit of God lives inside of you. I love how Peter says this in 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter one, when he says, everything that pertains to life and godliness has been granted unto us in the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. And I wanna think about that for a second. Peter is very, very specific in this passage and he, when he says everything. You know, in the Greek, the word, Everything is literally translated, every stinking thing. Okay, maybe not exactly, but you get the point. Everything. God didn't miss anything. Everything that you need, every circumstance, every, every position, every point of wisdom, every thought, every decision, everything that you need in your life to live an, an abundant and overcoming and conquering life has already been given to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote in this passage, you have already overcome. 
How many of you have times in your life when you just don't feel like an overcomer? We, we all do. But does that change the fact that God's word, because of Christ in us, the power of the Spirit of God in us, having given us all things, does that change the fact that we are an overcomer because of Christ in us? No, it doesn't change that. The fact is, is whether you feel like it or not, you need to start telling yourself to believe God's word instead of the lies that are coming into your mind through either your own insecurity or the, or the, or the sound bites that we're constantly receiving for, through the media or the st patterns, thought patterns and streams of the enemy's suggestions that he brings into our lives. You are more than a conqueror. The greater one is alive on the inside of you. Listen to Paul, this, this Romans chapter eight, Paul is reminding us that we cannot be pushed back, held down or pushed or defeated because of the new nature that's inside of us. Romans chapter eight, 31 and 37. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to, we're gonna read that one again because I feel like you need to read that out loud with me so you believe it yourself. It comes out of your own mouth, you believe it. Ready, here we're gonna, we're gonna start right at the beginning. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You felt it a little bit more that time, didn't you? You need to do it one more time? We can do it again. One more time, here we go. What shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And then verse 37, he says, yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. You are more than a conqueror. You know, let me just stop for a second. I wanna, if you're a teenager in this place, I want you to listen to me just for a second. I understand it is difficult to be a Christian and Christians have never been more under attack than and they are right now in the United States. I, I get that, life is hard as a teenager, especially as a young person. But I want, to, I want you to know that the creator of the universe, the same power that spoke and everything that is came into existence and they're still discovering that this solar system, is, uh, this, this universe is expanding and growing at the speed of light because when God said let there be, he never said stop. Now I want you to think about this. That same power that rose Christ from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell is living inside of you. You can live for Christ as a teenager in your school, as a young person in your college. You can, you, by the power of God, again, not because you're all that in a bag of chips, but because God is alive in you and he's put you in that school and in those classes and with those, in those relationships for a reason. Those people, those, your classmates need you. They need you. Listen, and, and there's other Christians there that are just hiding out. They're scared too. And they're waiting for one person to stand up and say, greater, the greater one lives on the inside of me. Therefore, if God is for me, who can be against me? And be that young person that God is looking for to be, the, to, to be the beginning of a spark that brings an awakening in your school, on your campus. Let me tell you, you businessman, <laughs> businesswoman, you don't have to cut corners. You don't have to lack integrity. You don't have to you know, kind of sideways these deals to close a deal, to be a leader in your industry. You can live with integrity and righteousness under the power of the Spirit of God, trusting Him to give you connections and creativity and ingenuity to, to be a leader in your market. Moms and dads, your home can be a place of righteousness and peace, 
regardless of what the media tells you and culture is telling you. Young, young adults, if you're here today and you're single, you can live a godly, moral life in a sea, in a, sea a, a morass of, of ungodliness and immorality. You can live a pure life committed to the purposes of God in this culture today. You can do it, not because of you, but because of Jesus in you. Who is Christ in you? How big is Christ in you? And I want to slow this train way down just for a second, because you've got to grasp this thought. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Pastor Steve talked about that two weeks ago, and I'm not saying just rise up and make it happen in the power of your will. This is not Nike. We're not just going to just do it, okay? It's just not how it works. This is not about your execution skills. You are an overcomer based on who's inside of you, not based on your ability to be a good Christian. Remember, Pastor Steve, last week he talked about the loving life. He talked about loving someone, loving someone does not make you a better Christian. It just identifies the fact that you're already a Christian. And in the same way, being an overcomer, we're not overcomers to try to be a better Christian. That's not how we, how we try to earn our way into Christianity by, live, by you know, gritting our teeth and, and just overcoming and living holy. We overcome because we are Christians, because the Spirit of God already lives inside of us. And listen, it's not that the flesh is not weak, but it's the spirit is willing. The Holy Spirit moves us on the inside from I ought to to I want to. You know, that's the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion says you ought to be better. You ought to be a better dad. You ought to be a better mom. You ought to be a better student. You ought to try harder. You ought to stop doing this and stop doing that and overcome this addiction. You ought to do all these things to try to be a better Christian. But a relationship with Jesus transforms you from the inside out. It says, I want to now be different. I'm compelled by the power of the Spirit of God in me to live an overcoming life, to overcome addictions and, and pain and, and the, the things that are holding me back in my life, dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional patterns of living and thinking. I want to overcome them to be the, the child of God that I'm created to be, Amen. You know, I grew up in a religious home and it, with a, that was, again, my godly parents, but I totally had this perspective that Christianity was all about doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. And if you wanted to be a good Christian, you had to do the do's and not do the don'ts. And it became very clear early in my life that if I was, if I was going to be a, if being a good Christian meant doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, I was never going to be a very good Christian because I was really good at not doing the do's and doing the don'ts. Really good. I mean, quite proficient. I should have done seminars. Are you with me? But I'll never forget on February 15th, 1990, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I'm in the barracks of my, of, of, uh, and on the base where I lived as a young soldier over in Germany. And the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart one night and said, son, I don't want you to try harder. I want you to give up and allow the greater one to live on the inside of you and live the Christian life through you. It is impossible for you to live a Christian life. But Jesus, by the person of the Holy Spirit, can live this life through you if you walk with him. Who is Christ to you and who is Christ in you? Everybody say it. Say, who is Christ to you? Now say, who is Christ in you? You are more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer because the greater one is living on the inside of you. Now, the third question that we have to answer is this. What is truth? What is truth? In verse 6, John wraps up this section on living this discerning life by saying, We are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. 
By this, we know the spirit of truth. Remember, the whole point is learning how to discern truth from error. And we see in verse 6 that there are clearly two spirits at war in the world around us, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How do we know the difference? Well, John breaks it down pretty clearly. In a, in a world with a thousand versions plus of so-called truth, there is black and white. There is absolute truth. So what is truth? It's a great question. Culture tells us that truth is non-existent. Culture says that it's, it's relative at best, that you can't really know truth or maybe it's not real or it's totally just subjective and dependent. Truth is dependent on your situation or subject to your thoughts, perspective of circumstances. But friends, I'm telling you here today that there is absolute and eternal truth and is found only in the person of Jesus and the word of God. John ties these two together, Jesus and his word together. You know, the apostle John who wrote this epistle, first, second, third John in the book of Revelations also wrote the gospel of John. And, and it was such a clear, a clear challenge to the person of, there was such a clear challenge to who Jesus was in the very beginning that John in the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John, clarifies this point in verse 14. He says this, and the Word, capital W Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is the incarnation of God. Jesus is the Word that became flesh. John is saying that truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. That's why John is reminding the churches in this passage that Jesus is from God. That's why the answer to the first two questions are so important. Jesus defines truth himself in scripture later on in the gospel of John in chapter 17. He says, sanctify them by your truth for your word. Now in this passage, he's speaking of the scriptures. The scriptures are truth. Now the problem around us is that culture screams at us, just live by however you feel, whatever makes you happy, do what you wanna do, does it really matter anyway? Is there truth, can we know truth? Does it matter? But John is saying there is truth and it's only found in the person of Jesus and the word of God. As a young believer, I began to understand really the role of scripture in my daily life, being converted out of, uh, being born again out of a life of just a mess. I mean, I was a wreck uh, personally as an immoral, and, um, immoral life and, and uh, as I had, I had hunger for God and I, but I knew there was more than just my emotional experiences that were bringing me into these encounters with God. I knew there was a deeper walk that God had for me and I began to find it in the pages of scripture. And I, and I came across this verse one day that was just amazing. And I wanna share this with you uh, from John chapter eight out of the amplified version, just cause it helps. I'll break it down a little bit. I want you to see this. This is what Jesus, this is Jesus talking about our life in his word and how it, how it opens our hearts and lives to truth. He says, if you abide in my word, that's Jesus. If you abide in my word, in other words, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them. Live in accordance. In other words, that you make the, 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 the scriptures central to every part of your life. And here's the big, big bad word. You ready? Obey them. We're going to come back to that. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everybody's heard that verse. In fact, we hear it out of context all the time. Every movie and TV show, everybody's heard it. I'm some some out of context, you know, somebody's on there, and the truth will set you free. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Here's the implication. If you just find out the, tr the facts, your life will be better. Hey, that's not true. Remember, we talked about half-truths. That's a half-truth. It's not the truth that you know that sets you free. It's the truth that you obey that sets you free. 
Let me tell you, how much of the Bible you know is not nearly as important as how much of the Bible you obey. Amen? And what John is saying to us, and Jesus makes so clear in his passage today, that, that this obedience, Jesus in this passage clarifies this point by using a series of if-then, cause-and-effect statements. If you abide in my word, if you obey my word, hold fast to my teachings, and then you'll be my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then you will be set free. In other words, if you want to have the freedom to be who God has created you to be and have the life Jesus died for you to have, you have to face the truth, and it starts with facing the truth about your own life and my life. And so as I started studying the word, the Holy Spirit went to work in me. It was interesting, you know, young, uh, young, we were just married, my wife and I, when all this is happening, and, and uh, I had grown up in church. My dad was a pastor. She had grown up in church. Her dad was a pastor. Two PKs that made it. Come on, somebody. Woo! <laughs> By the skin of our teeth. Mine, anyway. She was pretty holy. But uh, anyway, I remember when we first got married, we first got married, and uh, we would have disagreements. Anybody have disagreements with their, with their spouse? Yeah, this was a long time ago. Don't tell her I said this, but we actually still have disagreements sometimes. Uh, anyway, we would have disagreements, and we were so cute and just precious, you know, and we'd go, let's, let's don't fight. Let's go pray about it, and then we'll talk about it later. Okay. So we'd go pray, and i go, Lord, God, Lord, I, I, just, I just, this situation... And uh, Lord, I, I just want to pray for Chris right now. <laughs> I know she's young and just growing. Lord, she's doing the best she can. But Lord, I just pray you'd, you'd just, you know, help her see how her thinking is goofed up and, you know, how she really needs to just submit to her husband. <laughs> she's a good woman, Lord. Just help her. Anybody ever pray a prayer like that? And uh, I remember the, the Holy Spirit said, hey, knucklehead. The Holy Spirit talks to me like that. I don't know about you guys, but he's just real, you know. Hey, knucklehead, look, she's not the problem. And I said, what? What do you mean she's not? There's only three of us in this conversation, and you're perfect. What do you mean it's not? Can you believe I was so self-deceived that I could not imagine that I might have been the source of issues? in our marriage and continue to be today. <laughs> but God began to work through his word. And instead of living a life that was emotional and just drug about by how I felt things should be, he began to teach me to align my word, my life with the truth of his word and discover truth of his word as it applies to my life and things begin to change. And you know, sometimes we just hide things in our hearts because we, it, they're painful to deal with, but here's the, the, the truth. Truth is the way things really are, not the way we want them to be or wish they were, but how, light, how things really are from God's perspective, and his is the one that matters. God wants us to invite him in, the spirit of truth, to reveal truth about our lives and about our circumstances, to deal with our hurts and our pain and our dysfunction so that we can live the life that he's created us to be, to live and become the people that he's created us to be and live set free 
from the patterns and bondages that we've fallen into in our lives. I want to close with this one, one last thought from Scripture. We're beginning our final descent. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus drives this point home of living in accordance to his word. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse, verse 46, he says, So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on it, I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man who's building a house, who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred and the storm burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And let me tell you, my friends, when you build your life on the truth and not popular opinion, when the storm comes and they're coming, those areas of your life will stand. But he goes on to say, the one who has heard but not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground with no foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And this last phrase is so frightening to me. And the ruin of that house was great. I wanna ask you to stand this morning. As we're closing and the worship team's coming and our prayer team's coming and they're gonna be here for you. But I wanna ask you, in this moment, and the Holy Spirit is, is ministering to hearts right now and I, on every campus. And I'm going to ask the campus pastors to go ahead and join me on the stage. What is it that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about right now? Areas of your life that you've built on fool's gold. You've gone and you've prospected and you've worked hard. And there's no indication in this passage that the guy that built his house on the sand worked any less hard or diligent than the guy who built his house on the rock. Same effort, you're putting the same amount of work. Why not build it, build it on something that's gonna last? And so as we close, I'm gonna pray for you in just a minute. Our ministry teams, our prayer teams here. In fact, let me go ahead and ask the prayer team to go ahead and make your way down to the front. And I'm gonna just ask you this. If God is dealing with you this morning, again, if you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, that's the first thing you need, the first area of truth, who is Christ to you. That's the first thing you need to deal with. But if the Lord's showing you areas of your life that really need to be demolished and rebuilt on truth, don't be afraid. The same God that's going to give you the truth to build it on will give you the power and the ability and the courage to do the work of rebuilding. And you're surrounded by people who will walk with you in it if you'll get honest with yourself and with God this morning. Heavenly Father, we just, we pause and are humbled because your word is such a precious gift to us. Jesus, we're grateful for your revealing it to us that you've come and, and you didn't leave us as orphans, but your spirit lives inside of us, the greater one lives inside of us so that we can be more than a conqueror overcomers in this life and so right now in the in the stillness of this moment holy spirit have your way in our hearts show us lord where we need to build where the areas of untruth and half truths and deception and even choices that we've made that we knew it wasn't true we knew it wasn't right but we just did it anyway because it maybe it made us happy in the moment or made us feel good about about some area of our lives, whether it's a relationship or a career decision, a business opportunity. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a relationship with a family member. Or, but Lord, we've drawn some lines and built some things and 
in, in areas of our lives that are just contrary to the truth of your word. And, and, and now we see it and know it. All we have to do is return, repent, turn to you, and allow you to begin that rebuilding process. And so, Lord, give us the courage to follow through, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Lord, to be your disciples that we might know the truth and be set free to become all that you've created us to be. And when we, when we build that place, and, and it's magnificent and abundant, Lord, we'll give you all the glory because it's you that's done it all anyway. Go with us from this place. Surround us with your peace as with the shield. In Jesus' name.